doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's, there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages. And at that point, it kind of converge into this one entity, which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old. And at that point, it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person. I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking. It's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at uncomfortablepodcast65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. That is the main way you can help in getting the show out in front of other people. If you've not heard yet, Uncomfortable Patreon has launched, and I'm very excited about it. It is the only place where you will be able to find my video series, Uncomfortable Afterthoughts, and A Little Uncomfortable. Go to patreon.com forward slash uncomfortablepodcast770 and see if any of the tiers there interest you. Your support for the show so far over the past couple of years has been amazing, and hopefully this will be a way that I can give something back. The link for Patreon and the Uncomfortable Discord will be in the show notes below. As for tonight's guest, he specializes in alchemy, the occult, symbolism, and he has promised to give us some insight into these esoteric topics through an academic lens, if you will, while including some of his theories as well. He says his crazy theories. If you're ready, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would, give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to the host of the One on One podcast, Mr. Juan Ayala. Juan, welcome to Uncomfortable. Hey, Eric, how you doing, man? Thank you for having me. Doing, Appreciate it. Doing really well, my friend. Uh, first of all, before we even get into anything, um, I owe you an, a, a thanks. Um, you have been a... Uh, a voice of reason. You have been a, uh, I consider a friend of the show. 
Um, we've had we've had a number of conversations uh, via messages, and you've always been very supportive. You've you've shot to the to the quick of things. You've answered some questions for me. You've pointed me in uh, the right direction, and for that, my friend, I thank you. You've uh, you've been one of those people in this uh, in this podcast arena that uh, I consider I consider a friend and. Uh, you're good people, man. I, I appreciate you. Likewise, Eric. And yeah, I think that we're here to help each other out. I mean, there's there's plenty of room for all of us to grow. And re- referencing alchemy, my alchemical process might not work for you and vice versa, right? And we're all trying to figure out and navigate whatever this is that we call reality. So yeah, I appreciate it. And I consider you a friend, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And anytime you need help, man, just reach out. I'm, I'm here to help. Well, it, it, it's a, you know, it's a blessing uh, of sorts when you when you run into people. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people out there that are like minded, um, and you know, we're our shows. I would say are in the same genre, um, but our niches are definitely uh, on the opposite sides of the room within that uh, that genre. Um, no less compelling, no less interesting. It's just a it's a different, it's a different thing. And, uh, you do a really good job with what you do. Um, and, and quite honestly, I mean, your topics interest the hell out of me, but they are, are to get a good full understanding. It takes a lot of legwork and the legwork that I do is more in the paranormal as far as, you know, experiencing, ghost or spiritual awakenings and you know cryptid stuff whereas you're more into the stuff that i think most people would probably associate with magic or you know and, and that type of stuff so I'm, I'm i'm really glad that you're here uh, i'm super interested in here to hear what you have to say and i'm sure my fans are gonna eat it up so what'd you bring for us tonight yeah, man. And that's one of the things that it's funny because when I first got into this, it started with my religious upbringing. A lot of people don't know, but I was born and raised Pentecostal Christian. And I still consider myself a Christian, although maybe not a, a, a practicing Christian, if you will. Mm-hmm. I do believe in God. I do believe in, like, in a creator. I do believe something is holding this together. And when I started my journey. And I think that for the first, probably I'm up to episode 160 something at this point, but for the first probably 50 episodes, I was trying to find my footing, taking inspiration from other podcasts that I would listen to. And I just didn't really know how to tackle everything and what I really wanted to talk about. And I think around that area, episode 50 or so, I started to really lock down on my niche. And that was uh, Gnosticism at first, so religion, and then occult symbolism, and that kind of blended over to, uh, to magic. And I didn't, and I still don't know where I stand with it, because I think that people have to understand I'm a researcher, and I've always been interested in, in the, these fringe topics. I remember as a kid, I was, I would buy at these book fairs, the Bigfoot books, and uh, I was into dinosaurs, and I was into all these crazy things, and the Bermuda Triangle was a real big one for me, and aliens and UFOs, just really trying to figure out, I remember watching the shows on History Channel where it'd be like, oh, 
you know, uh, what was that one show? I think Expedition Unknown or something yeah. where they would they would go hunting these cryptids and I go, man, they're going to find something in this episode. And they never <laughs> did because it's that's part of it, right? Like ancient right. aliens, they talk about the same thing over and over again. And so it really started like that for me and it kind of evolved, but I never really believed in magic. Now you have magic with a C or magic with a K, which is a Crowley thing, which we can get into in a little bit. But it, it kind of switched to the occult, then kind of alchemy really started to take over. And that's where I'm currently standing now. And now it's kind of morphing over to to the kind of the, the cryptid side. I mean, I think it's all related. I think that paranormal really falls under it's like a blanket term. Right. And I think that we're all kind of playing in the same waters when it comes to these topics, whether people want to accept it or not. Absolutely. But I think maybe as of lately, Eric, I, I know you're big into the cryptids. I had a guest on who brought I like bringing forth unorthodox ideas and by unorthodox I mean thinking outside of the box and he related in Solomonic magic which is working with I guess demonic entities if you will go Goetia which we can get into later that he started talking about how the barbarous words are like this glossalia that you're supposed to speak to prepare yourself to work with these entities right and he brought forth the idea that this glossalia sounded kind of sort of like Ron Moorhead's samurai chatter. Oh, no kidding. And we, br- we brought up, because I know you were on my show as of re- uh, probably a couple months ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Where you talked about how these metallics, metallic sounds, right? You have Tony Merkel talks about that a lot. And mm-hmm. you've talked about it on your show where what if those wood knocks and all these other things are attributed to these entities or these things crossing over into yep. our realm. Like that's, that's a byproduct of these things crossing over. Coming and into so, our perception. Yeah, exactly. So he, he related the, the, the barbarous words, which are just not, not, not nonsense, but again, nonsense is bringing forth like whatever comes to mind to disassociate yourself. Right. And, and get, get into an altered state of consciousness. Cause again, you're going to start working with, demonic entities essentially right and there's other there's some theories we can get into on that but he linked that to the samurai chatter and i brought it up on air and again i mean he made a compelling case as far as that being what if because i've even done even a little bit more research on it where what if these entities these cryptids that we know and love right bigfoot dogman mothman all these things are brought forth from these other dimensions through the use of the occult and the dark arts because as of recently i did an episode on the night side of eden kenneth grant which was a an occultist he was a novelist and he was the personal assistant of alistair crowley and he brought forth the idea of he, what he called typhonian teratomas and it's got to do with this concept that he calls the tunnels of set now i'm sure you've seen the tree of life right the kabbalistic tree of life yeah. and it's a sort of meditative talismanic instrument that they use to cross over into other dimensions if you will right is psychically again i'm not a practicing occultist i just read about this stuff but he he talked about how in these tunnels the failed experiments of previous occultists throughout all of history exist within these tunnels. And some of those beings or entities that are in those tunnels are these chimeric looking creatures with different, like again, the harpies or minotaurs and all these things. Now, part of that cosmology, this, this tree of death that's on the other side 
it also can act like a sort of portal into our dimension where these entities can cross over. Now, I always talk about the cinemagicians, and I think that they put these things in Holly Weird or Hollywood, and it's stagecraft, right? William Shakespeare, if he was or wasn't a real person, talked about how the world's a stage, right? And every right. man and woman has their part and their entrances and exits. Well, stagecraft or or, or cinemagic, whatever you want to refer to it as, I think that they, that life imitates art. So when they put these things, like if you think of the upside down world in stranger things, which they have a new, they have a new season coming out soon where these entities would come through what, through these holes in space and time or whatever it was. And it was a reflection of their, of their world that they were living in, except inverted and dark. And if you think of the tunnels of set, that's exactly what he refers to as as this universe B where again, it's a darker aspect where these entities exist. And he brings in, I don't know if you've ever heard of HP Lovecraft, but he brings in the, he brings in the Cthulhu mythos into it. He believed that HP Lovecraft was in touch with, entities from the other side if you will and i think he makes a good point because i think that there's something that i've dubbed interdimensional literature where there are certain religions eric that don't use vowels and i've always kid around and i say well vowels hold together existence in the fabric of reality because for some people it quite literally does the the gnostics had certain invocations that where they use certain syllables and letters to invoke certain entities and for their for their magical rituals so i think that by writing these things down how hp lovecraft did in all these stories it solidified itself in our reality in our dimension so you have carl jung which was an academic who talked about he had hauntings and only when he wrote it down and started to journal about them was he able to interact with these entities and like look further down into the fabrics and depths of whatever. This, that's why I said whatever this reality is, because I think it's it's malleable to a certain extent. Maybe you have people who are more susceptible to to the to write the occultist Monday. You so also have. Do you do you attribute? You said a lot of stuff right there. Um, do you, do you, do you attribute, um, you know, you you mentioned that there are some, uh, some groups that don't use certain letters. Um, it, man, I'm trying to get my thoughts here. Um, are you saying that, you know, because a lot of people will talk about words and letters, spelling Mm -hmm. being the literally that 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 they have power and that they can cast a uh, an intent and that's where the the beginning of or the origins of of the word spelling came from do you know it, what you know what a grimoire is eric i i've heard the name i could not tell you uh without some time to like dig back in the deep recesses of my brain but i i do know that i know the word so a grimoire is a book of spells and okay. the word grimoire during the medieval ages and during and the word grimoire is where we get grammar from. So okay. our word grammar is comes from what means a book of spells. So there is some, so spells. there is some tie in there. The um, etymology. Absolutely. Yeah. You can trace it back. Yes. And, and like, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of people talk about, um, uh, that our existence is one plane of a dimension and the most the most common theory is that 
Um, they're either multiple dimensions that are stacked on top of us or parallel to us, like a, the pages of a book if you stood it on its end. So if, if our dimension has a mirrored image of it on the backside of it that would be considered the upside down, um, that kind of tends to relate to our dimensions being stacked on a horizontal plane rather than a vertical plane. And if that's the case, if that, that is true, then should we assume that every, <laughs> because if every dimension had an upside down to it, then our plane of existence would be sandwiched between two upside downs. As above, so below. So below, yeah, one of the hermetic principles. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, and if you think of a book, if you, if we, I like that analogy. If we look at a, a reality as a book, you can also, right? So if, let's say reality is stacked on top of each other and quantum physics, I know some people don't like the word quantum because it's, it's real, it's just, it just means something we can't comprehend, whatever. If quantum physics says that there's like 11 dimensions or something or other, well, let's say that it is like a book or a pamphlet, a little bit shorter. And what, what can you also do with a book? You can flip the, you can fold the pages in on itself and that would account for these wormholes, right? Where, where space and time curve and you're able to go through from one side of space and time into the other. I'm sure you've seen that, mm -hmm. that, that picture where they sure. draw the wormhole like, like this, like a C and then the portals here and you just go to the other side. It would make absolute sense to me, but I think that there's something, if you look at, Let's take any religious scripture. It also makes sense that it, you could skip chapters, which, yes, might, exactly. which might explain missing time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that I think that some people are able to do it. And I, and I have some examples of what I believe is this sort of technology. If you, I'm going to call it technology because I think it is something that we're able to tap into. And they've moved away. I think that religion now is, and again, I believe in God. I do believe that there is a source. What I don't subscribe to is the dogmatic views of religion Amen, and brother. how it's a, Amen. it's a brokered experience <laughs> now. It's like you can only achieve divinity through us. It's like, no, we don't need these churches to achieve divinity. I think we can do that by ourselves we and again that, we have that in ourselves yes reading the word right that jesus became the word right so like all these things but if you think of ancient scripture and this is what i mean by interdimensional literature where this scripture these books there are entire lifetimes and people who dedicate their entire lives following the doctrines that they find in this one book and they live, eat, breathe, everything what's in that book. And you can, the Quran, the Bible, whatever you, the Tibetan book of the dead, yeah. whatever you want to attribute it. And that's what I mean, because it resonates in space and time and literally changes people's perception. Okay. It changes the way people think people's outlooks on reality based on this book. And an example that I always use is the, the King James version of the Bible. Now, the conspiracy is that it was written by Francis Bacon, and Francis Bacon was William Shakespeare, and William Shakespeare was a fake person. So who was, you know, was it a group of people? Was it a one person? Who, who was it? Like, we don't really know, but that's besides the point. What I think is happening is that the original alphabet only had like 17 or 18 letters in it, gl these glyphs, and they added extra letters, these, these, 
glyphs and symbols that meant nothing essentially until we gave it value. So what my what I'm proposing is that William Shakespeare and King James was also a very shady character for those that don't know. He was writing about demonology. He was writing about witches. He was writing about interacting with witches, Sabbaths, all these different things. A lot of people say he was he was also in he was in the closet as well. So there's all these conspiracies revolving around one of the, the most used versions of the Bible, which people are using things that they don't understand where it comes from yeah. because they only take what is handed to them and they don't do their research. And that's what I love about it. Cause once you, once you start to peel back the layers through just research and mainstream history, which mainstream history also has its holes and it's, it's faults. But point being that a lot of people without knowing perhaps William Shakespeare was a pen name for a group of people, or it was a, a pen name for a different person, but William Shakespeare single handedly, has transformed the English language as we know it today. Now, how do we not know, or how do we know if they didn't do that intentionally in order to bring forth these letters or abstract symbols into our existence that were otherwise magically charged as talismans? Now, when everyone reads that King James version of the Bible that probably has some alchemical secrets hidden within it, but you're only able to know the secrets if you were initiated, if you were part of that group. And guess what, Eric? It's a big group. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big group and you ain't part of it or whatever it was that one saying by that comedian, right? Yeah. It, it, unless you're initiated, you're not going to know the esoteric secrets of that book or whatever it is, or the, right? Because we're only presented the exoteric stuff. That's what they feed the masses, the exoteric, what's on the outside. You read it. Only what you need to know. Exactly. So I propose the idea that maybe they did this on purpose and they infiltrated the English language itself. And when you're using these things, right now we're using English, right? Whatever, and it comes from, from Grimoire, a book of spells. Okay, that, that's that's etymology 101. You can look that up right now. Etymology of the word grammar, and it's gonna come up for you, okay? I propose that they, that, they, this is, that they did this on purpose. Now, maybe it was to take power away from us and give more power to the church, right? Because we, we switched from this Humanism movement that the that the right the microcosm man as the microcosm and and these occultists what they strive to was to understand man as a little cosmos so they wanted to understand man as a little being right everything in and out and once they were able to understand that right as above so below they were able to understand the macrocosm the universe and on the grander scale. And we moved away from that, right? We moved away from that. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not a universe within your own self. No, no. God created the universe, right? You have all these prophets, which you can go down the line. I'm not trying to discredit anyone's religion, but I think it's a, also a tool. I do think that these people existed, but it's also been used as a tool to control the masses. Absolutely. And then add, add the demystification of language into that by adding and watering down this what was once a magical language down you water it down you add more stuff into it to take away its power because they always say hey be careful what you wish for you're going to manifest these things into existence well i think back then eric i think it was like harry potter i think it was like how they would speak these spells and you know there's a reason and i always think about this eric i go why is the paranormal thing? Why is spirituality a thing? Why do all these things exist if reality is just linear and there's nothing else? Nothing happens when you die. Nothing else on the other side. There's no such thing as Bigfoot. There's no such thing as, as Mothman, whatever, Dogman, yeah. Magic. 
then why is it a thing today? Why are we talking about these things today? Why does religion exist? Why does all these things exist? If there's perhaps there's truth to it, and perhaps there is this other layer of reality that we're able to tap into that, again, it's subjective. I think if you bring it upon existence, it'll exist. And otherwise, if you want to live under a rock, I think you can shut it out as well. And I think it's all done through language and what they put in the media and these movies, these video games. Uh, we're bombarded with all these waves 24-7. I mean, I turned my router off the other day and I felt it. I felt it turn off. <laughs> it's like, that can't be good for you. You know what I mean? Like, that cannot be good. Yeah. And if we take into account that the eye only sees 0.0035 of the light spectrum, that's just the eye. Imagine all the things that we're not seeing. Maybe there is another reality overlaid on top of ours right at this moment. And there are things that are existing in our, in our space right now that we just can't perceive. Because I think it goes back to perception and the way that you perceive reality itself. So and these are rabbit holes I've gone down from the very beginning of hours and hours of research that I've done. And again, it started with, with religion, Gnosticism. And I think that usually the people who are against the mainstream always get wiped out. And I mean, we know what happened to the Gnostics. They got wiped out because they were getting too close to the truth. If you know what I mean, I want the authorities I, come a knocking before you get too far into that. I, I want to go back and ask you something. Um, you, you said that like the original uh, alphabet had something uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 17. Um, and then there were other things added. Were those, were those other, the other letters that were added, were they added to, to dilute? Or were they added to, or do they have some power associated with them and by us using them unknowingly it's aiding which 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 way is which way is right which way am i thinking is right that's it so you're on to it you understand it but that's where i don't know if it was to empower us even further right or if it was because there's a thing called there's a concept, which I'm not going to get into, but there's a concept called Pythagor Pythagorean palaces. Now, essentially what it is, is within that concept, that's a whole three hour podcast on its own. But within that concept, there's something called occulted scaffolding. And essentially it was that architects back then were magicians. Physicians were magicians as well. Like all these things. And, and the reason the architect as magician, the way that the, the reason that they looked at him as a magician was because he had to divinate. He had to, when they were building the foundation of a building, he had to look into the future, a hundred years, 50 years, whatever it was. So therefore he was practicing, practicing divination by looking into the future to see if that foundation would hold the weight of that building. Okay. And during the Renaissance, I mean, magic and buildings were one and the same there. It was, it was all intertwined buildings and these cathedrals were talismans and which we can get into that a little bit later. But point being that part of that process was that the architect would draw these occulted lines. So an occult scaffolding and think of it when uh, an architect does his sketch. And they put certain layer when somebody's doing a sketch of something and they put those lines as references, 
right? That's the occultist scaffolding because after he's done with those lines, he erases them. Mm -hmm. So in the magical sense of occulted scaffolding, the intention that goes into making something originally is that occulted scaffolding. So you don't know if when they introduce these glyphs or these symbols into the language, what that magician's intention was. Okay, implying that William Shakespeare was this great occultist or Francis Bacon was this great occultist. Now, there is evidence that suggests that he did know about the occult. Okay, he wrote Tempest, for example, right? We have all these occult aspects in William Shakespeare's plays. And the re where did he get his occult knowledge from? There's another conspiracy saying that he traveled around with John Dee and Edward Kelly during the 16th century around Europe, and he learned all his magical knowledge from John Dee, the astrologer to Queen Elizabeth I, which we know John Dee was in touch with Enochian entities. On the other side, they were scrying in this crystal ball, talking to these aliens, angels, demons, whatever you want to call it, but they were talking to something outside of the you know existence as we know it. So the back to the occultic scaffolding, we don't know what they charge these things with. And that's why you have to be very careful with whatever you're ingesting, watching on TV. You know, a lot of these shows have a lot of occult aspects. And uh, these, right, this, the Super Bowl or Super Bowl, when they do all these rituals, right, this occult symbolism that's in these things that we're observing, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in it, Eric, or you don't understand it because the elites understand it and they use these systems accordingly. They don't pick these colors because, right? They don't pick these certain colors for these certain teams and all these different things. No, 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 no. The logos for these teams are sigils. And, when, and part of creating a sigil, and this gets into chaos magic, is uh, charging that sigil. And it doesn't matter if you don't believe it, Eric, as a person, because your soul believes it. And that's what they're after. As long as your soul body, your soul, your subconscious understands it and resonates with it, they've already done their work. Okay, so I'm going to play the devil's advocate on this. And I'm going to go back to my childhood growing up listening to bands like Kiss. Okay. Um, you know, the, the crazy makeup and the loud music and, you know, three notes get you, you know, 800 million albums sold. Um, Marilyn Manson, um, Motley Crue, um, you know, you, you, the list goes on forever. Um, has that always been the case? That you're what you're talking about that 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 stuff's being put in front of us, or did it originally start off as just a theatrical shock value? This is completely different. Let's get people, you know, even if you don't like us, you're still paying attention to us. Um, was that always the case, or has that has that progressed now into? the people that are using it today during the Super Bowl and, and, you know, different music videos and, you know, some of the stuff, I mean, you know, I, I tend to look at things, you know, I can remember, I can remember my dad, um, asking me, uh, because my, my, my first couple of albums that I ever bought was the first one was kiss alive, which was a great live album. Uh, the other one was uh, Elton John's Yellow Brick Road. 
And then uh, the next one uh, was probably uh, Ozzy Osbourne's first solo album. And I can remember my dad sitting down. Uh, it was almost from the standpoint of like you were getting ready to have the talk, you know, about sex. Um, but he was like, he wanted to know what I saw in, in bands like Kiss and Ozzy. And I was like, you know, I grew up loving horror movies and UFOs and Bigfoot and all that stuff was always a part of my life. So when I listened to Ozzy or I listened to Kiss, it was almost like a horror movie in my head set to good rock music, right? Um, you know, and then he was like, you know, and what about Elton John? You, you realize that he's a little, he's a little off, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> meaning with his sexuality. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, the guy's got a great voice and he had a lot of good songs, you know, I didn't care that it was, but I guess the point that I'm getting at is I always looked at that kind of stuff through the eyes of a, it was like a horror movie set to music, you know, good music, music I wanted to listen to. Um, was it, was it the same back then? Was it, uh, was it less nefarious back then and more geared just to shock people and, and get attention? And then now they have found that it is a, uh, it's a good venue. It's a good avenue for them to get their message out. And at, at what point do you, do you, are there people out there that are using it still that way just to get attention and just to be like, Hey, look at me, I'm doing stupid shit. Um, you know, using all this imagery and then, you know, then you have the ones that are, are making a serious effort to get that in front of us. And that was a long, that was a long winded way of getting around what I was trying to say, but it's, it's not really an easy question, I guess. No, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent. I do think it goes back since, since as far as we know, I, I believe that plays, right. It goes back to the William Shakespeare, the world's a stage. And if, if we're susceptible to the stagecraft, if we will, then yeah, I, I do think, right. How I said architect as magician, you have composer as magician and there are books about how certain frequencies and when you know about cymatics, I mean, where you play a certain tone and yeah. it forms a certain shape. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a real thing. Cathedrals back then, cathedrals were used with this, you know, the stained glass, the organs inside the, there's a reason why it's named an organ, right? Cause mm -hmm. again, they believe that it was, that there was a Colossus inside these buildings and a, a cathedral was there to invoke a spiritual experience, an epiphany, if you will. Why? Because when it comes to pictorial magic, which is the use of images, the regular layperson only understands symbols, right? Some people, right? Here are picture words. What do they, what do they show little kids? Picture words. Why? Because they don't understand anything else. If you have them read a book about the occult, they're not going to be able to read it. So therefore these occultists, and I'm using cathedrals as an example, because it's an actual thing. They would put these images on these cathedrals to bring the peasant class in and draw them into, let's say this peasant who doesn't know any better, right? They're, they're, they're just there to till the fields and, and pay taxes. Well, they have to go to church every Sunday or whatever, whatever day of the week it is. They go into these buildings and they have a spiritual awakening. And the people at the forefront, the preacher, the priest or whoever it is, is telling them like, hey, 
You see, you, you experience that. Well, that's what God is. And therefore, we're that middleman between you and God. So therefore, in, you have to come. When in reality, the frequencies that were being generated by the organ plane in the architecture, the way it was specifically designed, the lighting that was coming through, through the stained glass windows that were perpetuated just specifically to incite a a momentous occasion for somebody at that at that right moment when the sun was coming through and the mm-hmm. and the vibrations were hitting you from the the music that was being played and the way it reverberated off of the walls and the angles and everything that was the that was the the spiritual awakening and and man standing up there at the altar was taking basically taking um, the, it's take, all about energy taking Eric. ownership of, of being the one that produced it. Yeah. So where attention goes, energy flows. Right. So, and I'm using this as an example to relate it to modern day concerts and music where, you know, back then the people, a lot of the cathedrals were built by the Knights Templar and the Knights Templar were allegedly alchemists. They don't know where all the gold came to build these cathedrals. There was too much gold, right? They did. Somebody did the math. They're like, there's the, the, the amount of gold and, and, and the amount that it would take to build these cathedrals. And why build all these cathedrals? Well, they were trying to quite literally transmute reality and the world through the use of these cathedrals. Now, we get into alchemy. This is why I study alchemy so much, because I do think any exchange of energy and the Knights Templar were the ones who invented the modern day banking system. And the Knights Templar were also accused of worshiping Baphomet. I'm sure you know who Baphomet is. Sure. Right? Everyone knows who that is. It's, we, we know about the famous depiction of Eliphas Levi, which was a famous occultist. But the, the Knights Templar were said to worship this entity. Now, that's a whole different thing. But the, the fact that our modern day banking system was supposedly given to the Knights Templar through the use of this demonic entity. I mean, right? They say it's the root of all evil. Well, I think that there is some truth to that. Because think about it. If a demonic entity prophesies to these Knights Templar, because that's part of the, the lure of these daemons or whatever you want to call them, that they prophesize for you, that they divinate for you, that they tell you secrets, except it's that Faustian pact. Right? What are you willing to give up, Eric, for all the knowledge in the world? I don't all need the to devil. Know. I don't need to know de- that much. <laughs> <laughs> it always wants your soul, right? It wants yeah. it wants you to sacrifice people up. And I think even till this day, these secret societies exist. And I do think that they're tapping into otherworldly energies, if you will. And and Eric, there are entire what I'm talking about with this subtle energy. Of Because not only does the, the going to church and all these places, it also plays into the idea of egregores, thought forms, composer as magician. Like there's books I can share with you on this that, that you know, well, I'm not just pulling this out of, you know, where there's actual I've read about like there's, there's actual cultures who have written about these things. And that's why I said it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't they don't care because they use it to their advantage. And I think. What it is, it's a way of glitching, not so much that we're in a simulation, but for lack of a better term, glitching this matrix, which we are a part of. 
Now, if it is an actual computer simulation, that's a whole another debate. But maybe it's uh, an organic simulation. Maybe it's some sort of not so much a computer-based holographic reality, how they put it in the Matrix, but maybe it's an organic one. Who knows? I mean, maybe we're all maybe, still just a bunch of monkeys who found a big old batch of mushrooms. Well, listen, and, and what we're up, experiencing as our lives is actually what's going on in the head of a chimp who is high as hell off of psilocybin. So it's funny you bring up the ape because the divine ape is, an, is a thing to these occultists now. And this is where we can get into the cryptid aspect of it, because I think it all ties back to alchemy, where in alchemy... There are certain grimoires, and I talk about the homunculus a lot. And what the homunculus is, is it's Latin for little man. The, now, now and before, very, let, me, let me interrupt you real quick, because I want to, I want to, I'm going to prejudice myself by saying that I'm, I'm an idiot when it comes to homunculus, because my only understanding of homunculus is a, um, is a, a CD, uh, experimentation with basically male semen and some, you know, tin foil and maybe a battery or some other weird shit. And then, you know, it, it sits in its little incubating tray and, uh, apparently, you know, starts moving on its own and everything. That's, that is, that is my only understanding of the word homunculus. Um, but obviously, uh, I have enough respect for you to know that that would not be why you refer to yourself as the homunculus, um, because that would be like shooting yourself in the foot. Um, so whatever you're going to tell me is going to be an eye opening experience on the subject of the homunculi. So, yeah, I, I was labeled the homunculologist or homunculist, whatever, however you want to say it, but. Yeah, that's that's one of that's the alchemical homunculus. I mean, you're not you're not off, but and this is what I love about alchemy that it exists on different layers of reality, right? It, alchemy is a biological thing. It's a physiological thing. It's a psychological thing. It's it's I call it inter. It's an interdimensional subject because part of the magnum opus of alchemy and the magnum opus is the great work, which I think that the Right. The Freemasons and all these other secret societies, they're all about the great work and quite literally transmuting reality itself. Because when you achieve the magnum opus, right, when the alchemist is in his in his cave somewhere uh, trying to transmute lead into gold and and find the philosopher's stone or the elixir of life. There's a reaction that happens and the light from that reaction transforms the DNA of that alchemist. And that alchemist is able to transcend reality itself. Now, sounds like a bunch of woo-woo, right? Well, the last great alchemist, quote-unquote, was Fulcanelli. And he was as recent as 1924. A man who knew about the secrets of nuclear weapons years before the Manhattan Project. Really? Okay. Yeah, this is a guy. We did, I did an episode on it, uh, Shadow Band Syndicate number two, I believe, with the guys from Kill the Mockingbird uh, podcast. A shout out to Joel and, and Joel Sean. And Chris, Sean, Chris, yeah, yeah. So we uh, we did an episode on him, and yeah, this is goes as f 
as far back as 1924, I believe is when he disappeared because he had achieved the magnum opus. But point being that it can be a physical thing or it can be a spiritual thing because the idea of the homunculus goes back as far back as 3600 BCE to, to the Taoists. Now, the Taoists believe that through meditation, they could quite literally impregnate themselves. Okay, now this sounds, it's gonna get, it's gonna get weird, Eric, okay? It's gonna get a little weird, so just bear with me. Okay. The reasoning behind their meditation, the chi, the way is what they call it, this force. You, want, you wonder where George yeah. Lucas or George Ophiuchus, as I like to call him, gets all their ideas, where Hollywood gets their ideas from. They get them from these ideas that I'm about to present to you, where this way, this, this force that exists that we're not really, we don't really know what it is, but they, they believe that we all are outpouring this energy through our head and through our, our body and all the, the chakras, if you will, right? And, and through meditation, you're able to reverse this energy in on itself and through abstinence and, and, and semen retention, right? If you want to believe in all that, they believe that they could create within themselves this little crystallized golden little man. Okay. That would be projected out from their body. Now, if, if, if that's an actual thing that happened, I don't know. Again, I, this, this is where we can get into speculation because part of the homunculus lore as well is that any homunculus that is set out in the wild grows to be mythological creatures like a gnome or a giant or perhaps a Bigfoot or dogman, who knows, right? I mean, they grow into old age and they turn into these mythological creatures. But the purpose that that little golden man served for that monk was to exist in this reality for him, for him to be able to escape samsara. So there was a little piece of him existing in this reality. Therefore, when his body died off, he wouldn't have to reincarnate again because this little golden man was running around for him in this dimension, if you will. So they figured out a way essentially to hack the matrix and escape reincarnation. Okay, so fast forward, right? You have Egypt, second, third century you have the alchemical homunculus because I think it's linked to this idea of the guy who invented the binary code that is running through our computer right now. Let's go back a little bit, a little bit before that. Charles Babbage, the father of the modern day computer, he tried to summon the devil at one point in his life and he wrote about this. So again, it goes back to these things that we use today we don't know what their original intention was, except that we use it today. The internet originated at CERN. We know all the theories behind CERN, or they're trying to tap in. The World Wide Web, WWW, is 666. That's like elementary stuff, like, oh, WWW. I think that the internet is another realm, another dimension, okay? Quite literally, another dimension, right? You, when you log into something, you log into a portal. If we go back to the idea that grammar equals grimoire, they put these things in there intentionally. <coughs> It's all magical, right? Our language is magical. So they, you log into a portal to get into your Instagram or your Facebook or something. You're tapping into this other realm. And it literally exists nowhere other than on the screen. And it's autonomous. But, it exists whether you're on it or not. But you can go back to and you can find things that you found before. Yes. You can take parts of you and put it in there. Yes. And you'll be there forever. Yes. 
That's why certain indigenous cultures didn't believe in taking their picture because they believe that their soul was trapped in that picture for eternity. Right. So, you know, uh, Charles Babbage, he wrote about how the reason, his reasoning behind creating or contributing to the development of the computer was to prove the existence of God. He wanted to prove the supernatural through technology which I think that is linked to the transhumanistic movement. And again, you can fact check me all you want for those listening. You can look all this up yourself. Now, if we go back to Leibniz, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, which is the father of binary code, the ones and zeros that are in your computer right now, he's the one that, that invented that. He had something called monadology. And monadology was the idea of encapsulating God into a substance, into a into something physical, into a into a being. So take about taking God and bottling him up in in a bottle or something, right? Because they wanted to be able to tap into that those powers. Essentially, it's about becoming a God in this dimension or this realm. Yeah. This is what these occultists want to do. So how does this relate to the to the homunculus? That's essentially what a homunculus is. It's a little magical man created through alchemy that occultists would use in order to a- obtain godlike powers. Now this sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, something out of this world quite literally. It, it, it does. And, and and it makes me want to ask you, has there ever been any evidence of an actual homunculi? In what sense, Eric? Like in in a in a non metaphysical sense, in a very physical sense, has yes. there ever been evidence of something that has evidence of its own life? Yeah. What do you think IVF is? They make babies and test tube babies. I mean, we can use that example. They quite literally grew a lamb. In an artificial matrix, which matrix means womb as of recently, they've talked about making chimeras in 2019. There was a debate about mixing monkey DNA with chicken DNA or something of that nature. And they had to destroy it after 14 days, allegedly, but they did destroy it. These are alchemists today. Manly P. Hall talks about how the alchemist of ancient, of old is, you know, only changed, he changed his cave and his, his robe into a white lab coat and four walls. That's all it is. Trust the science is trust the seance, whatever way you want to put it. I mean, it's another form of religion. And I think that they're doing the same thing that they were doing a thousand years ago. They're doing it today, except under controlled, controlled environments, if you will. So now, Crowley, the guy we all, right, we all know and love Crowley, one of the great B666, one of the, I'm not going to say greatest because I, I hate that guy, but one of the, the, the more well-known occultists also wrote about homunculus in the 19th century, the early 1900s, uh, I'm sorry, 20th century, the early 1900s. He wrote about how to create a homunculus. Jack Parsons, the founder of, of JPL Laboratories, the guy who allegedly made the the fuel for the rockets to reach the moon, who also was in bed with L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, they tried in, to create a in homunculus. Bed, in bed literally or in bed there uh, are, figuratively? There are, some, there are some people that say quite literally, yes. 
And they did a the Babylon working ritual in the middle of the desert, trying to invoke this homunculus. And some people say that he did succeed. Marjorie Cameron, his second wife, who also went on to try and create a moon child, which is another form of the homunculus. And she had an interracial orgy sex cult, which they would try to invoke because they were, again, there were Crowleyans, the Crowleyites. They were trying to create, uh, Crowley wrote about the moon child, which is this story about two different secret societies, the White Lodge versus the Black Lodge, who were fighting over an unborn child. Because, again, the magical systems, Eric, change over time to, the, to fit the practitioner's needs. So the, the subject of the homunculus has changed the way it's looked upon. And as far as uh, at the Trinity site, at the Land of Enchantment, along the 33rd parallel, James Shelby Downard wrote about how there was this big jumbo, this big, huge round cylinder that we don't know what the, the government made it for, but it was present at the first nuclear detonation. And he proposed the idea that they were trying to radioactively make a homunculus. This is the, the mid-1900s. And the government was allegedly involved in trying to create homunculus. They were watching Jack Parsons, who was also a very avid Crowley follower, who was trying to quite literally bring forth the end of the world, Ragnarok, whatever the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, through the use of sex magic and trying to birth a homunculus into this reality. So this idea, I believe, is live and well. And also as recent, I linked it, what, I, what, I, what I've termed the Epsteinian homunculus, where you had Jeffrey Epstein's Zorro Ranch in the Land of Enchantment, so New Mexico, near the 33rd parallel. He had a 33,339 square foot ranch, which numbers to them is important, Eric, because it's a way that they're able to glitch the matrix and it plays into the Pythagorean palace idea where they're able to encapsulate higher dimensions into buildings. Okay, uh, different Masonic lodges are built along these certain principles. That's why they revere Pythagoras, because all is number. I, I do believe all is number, and that's a way of tapping into something higher in this reality. But Jeffrey Epstein supposedly was trying to impregnate 30 women at the same time in his Zorro Ranch. Now, that may be like, oh, well, he was just trying to bring forth his seed into this world. Well, the problem with that is that I've, I, I'm familiar with the recipe that Crowley wrote in order to create the, what I've dubbed the Crowleyan homunculus. And a circle, a consecrated circle is needed in, in various geometric shapes. And when you look up Zorro, Jeffrey Epstein's Zorro Ranch, outside of that ranch, in the middle of the desert, which is also part of the recipe, because no wise spirit would be wandering the desert. We know that in the desert, weird things happen. The jinn live in the desert. We know Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert. In these open areas, right? These open swamps where they say Bigfoot or, or the skunk ape exists and all these different cryptids, right? Liminal, Strange phenomenon. Liminal abysses. Yes. It was in the middle of nowhere, right? This ranch was in the middle of nowhere, tucked into, right? In the land of enchantment, New Mexico tucked in these mountains and outside the ranch if you google earth you can look this up there's a huge circle on the outside of it now part of the the crowley and homunculus is procreating during certain astrological alignments 
in a ceremonial fashion. So again, sex magic. To birth, now, it's going to be a regular human being except the spirit or soul is going to be different. And it doesn't matter if you believe that or not. They believed it. Okay? Now, part of the homunculus lore, and I'm sure you're it, aware of... Go ahead. It, you, you've said this several times. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. They believe it. And I think that's an important thing. You keep saying it, and I'm, I'm afraid listeners are going, going to be like... Oh, he's being um, he's he's being cocky or he's being uh, aloof, but that's what you're saying is very much a true statement. It doesn't matter if you believe it; it's that they do believe it, and there's power in that belief. Exactly. But the reason I say it is because <clears throat> what I'm what I'm saying also sounds crazy, Eric. Sounds wild. Sounds yeah. like something out of a sci-fi, but it goes back to phenomenology where the experience, as long as it's real to you, you saw Bigfoot, Eric. Nobody can take that away from you. You know what you saw. And it's my job to either believe you or not believe you. So that's why I say they believe it. They believe it with the every with every inch of their soul, whatever, with every ounce of their soul, whatever it may be. They, they believe, and that's why I keep reiterating because I'll follow it up with some crazy statement that I just said. It's like... Remember, it, does, it sounds crazy, but the truth is stranger than fiction, okay? Right? It, 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 we're, 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 we're showing all these things in these movies. Look at uh, what, what's that, that one guy that, that wrote Rosemary's Baby. I forget his name. Mm -hmm. That POS. He wrote about right, doing uh, sexually depraved things to a young lady in order to birth the son or the, right, the Satan's baby. Yeah. Well, guess what? Roman, he got arrested for what? Roman, Roman Polanski. Polanski. Yeah. Yeah. What did he get arrested for? Exactly uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, a, a 12 year old, 12 year old girl. Was it? You got it. I so, and, and why is that Eric? Because they take these ideas and it gets, it's the revelation of method, which Crowley wrote about that. So they'll take these stories, this fiction, and they'll put it in a medium based on true events. But it's okay if you know that or not know that. But again, I'm just using that as an example. I believe that the story of Moonchild, if you ever read it, written in the, it was published in 1950 something, I believe, or 1940 something. I believe that's based on true events, that they did try and evoke this homunculus into existence. Because again, it's this idea of taking these quote unquote stories and just putting them into, um, just make it a story. People are not going to know any better, but you're reading and you're putting your, your, your energy into it. And that's what they want. You know, when you, when you talked about that, um, you said there were two warring factions uh, going a, a, against each other. You know, but to my simple mind, the, when you say moon child, I, I'm assuming that there's, uh, you know, is, are we talking about these two different factions were, extraterrestrial were they unidentified uh, uh entities of of or were they actual uh, a group of practicing humans uh, that were practicing different types of uh um magic, magic or yeah well do you know what one of the main texts of thelema is the book of the law do you know how crowley got that through contact with an extraterrestrial. Really? Yeah. 
their entire religion is based on automatic writings of being able to supposedly tap in. They were tapped into something. Now that's why they bring Cthulhu's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Cthulhu, Cthulhu mythos into it because one of the things that's very interesting about chaos magic, which all these people were chaos magicians now, chaos, the name chaos magic, you think, oh, chaos. Well, you know, uh, unorganized, just disaster, right? You can't comprehend it. No, 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 no. Chaos magic is quite literally the opposite of what you're thinking about. It's, it's organization beyond your comprehension. Something, right? They say order out of chaos all the time. We heard that through the riots of, right? Well, they associate, stuff. they associate that with the Big Bang. Yeah. So the idea that it's organization beyond comprehension that will drive you quite literally insane. So the concept of chaos magic, to put it in layman's terms, and this is why it's very powerful and dangerous at the same time, because chaos magic, they're, they're, their whole thing is throwing out all the ceremonial mumbo jumbo and getting straight to the point, cutting out all these rituals and all. No, 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 no. We don't need any of that. We get straight to the point. We do the magic as soon as, you know, open up the can plug and play good to go. Now, why is that dangerous? That's dangerous because they can quite literally use that in whatever, uh, whatever ceremony, right? The Super Bowl, they can do those. They do weird stuff in the Super Bowl. Well, that's a form of chaos magic. And they'll, they'll invoke certain gods for one purpose and then get rid of them. So they'll invoke Cthulhu, which is the main deity of the Cthulhu mythos, and use, him, use them as, as their main god for whatever ritual and just chuck them right out. Because they're able to assign certain things to certain rituals for their need at that one point in time. And then they're done with it. So, so think about that concept. If they're able to tap into that whenever, Eric, in your movies... And you're, and also one more thing that's important. So we're talking about an artificially created person through a group of people, right? Or, or a person, an alchemist or, or an occultist, however you want to say it. What is this world ruled by corporations, right? What does every corporation have? They have a logo. Do you know the etymology of corporation? What corporation quite literally means? And you can look this up right now. Anybody listen to me right now. Corporation quite literally means an artificially created person by a group of people. So you asked me, where is their homunculus concept? It, again, let, let's take the meat and bones, alchemical homunculus out of the equation. They trans, you know, I went from this metaphysical Taoist homunculus, the little golden man, and then it got transformed into a meat and bones where they would take their semen, put it in this vessel, in this matrix, and create this little person that they would then, Eric, they would then vivisect or dissect or destroy and use its various body parts for magical powers. Now, I'm not making this up. There are, there, there are grimoires that I've read that show you and they have the instructions on how to create these homunculus. And they are depraved, Eric. Now, some people will argue with me like, oh, it's, it's all symbolic, Juan. It's all symbolic. Absolutely. But tell that to the uninitiated guy who is trying to obtain godlike powers, that one Florida man who is going to go and actually try and do those those rituals and ceremonies for real, following the recipe that was given to him in the grimoire. You see where, what I'm getting at? Like even yeah. right, the secret society created that and they shrouded it in, in symbology. Okay. 
What about the regular layman that runs across it, that wants to obtain, again, that Faustian pact? What are you willing to do for all the power in the world? We, see, we hear about this all the time in the music industry where they sell their soul to the devil and they do all these rituals and all these things. There's rappers rapping about that they're going to die before 21 and then they die before that age, whatever it was, right? We hear about it all the time. So, again, I don't find it too far-fetched. I, I do think that the truth is stranger than, than, than reality. I think that we live in a sci-fi world and some people are more open to it than others. And I think this is where religion comes into play. I think that, I think religion is, is again, not too, religion is magical too, Eric, okay? So I think that religion is the good magic, if, if you will. Because let, let, let's, let's be real. All right, the, the stories of Jesus Christ walking on water, turning water in, into wine, all these different things, that's magical to me. Yeah. I mean, that, that he, he, that's very heretical to say, but he might have been an adept who was tapping into, who knows? But we can't deny the fact that it was magical. <laughs> that it, it was magic what he was doing, healing the sick. Come on. Most now of, what, say, oh, it's the, most the, of Holy the, Spirit. <laughs> most of the events that took place in the Bible are magical. So... You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We are, we are talking about a metaphysical aspect of reality that, again, one of the main patrons or deities, if you will, deity of, of one of the greatest religions in the world right now, which I consider myself a Christian, is Jesus Christ. And he was using magic for, again, for the betterment of people. But it's like how they put in these movies. The force, you can tap into it and use it for what? For good? It surrounds you. It runs through you. It, you. You're either a Jedi or you're a Sith. And I mean, again, that comes from all these occult texts, Eric, that they're, they're reading the same things that I'm reading and what I'm researching and what I'm trying to bring awareness to people about. They're using these things against people. But now that's why I kept saying it doesn't matter if you don't believe it because they do. Because if we go back again, to it doesn't matter if you want to believe me or not. I, be, I believe that they're using these things in the way that I've said. And are they all are they all legitimately using it or are there posers out there? I mean, with as with as deep as you get into this stuff, are you are you able to watch something on TV, say, you know, whether it's in the Super Bowl or whether it's in a, um, you know, the weekends uh, music video or, or something? Are there are there people out there that you can recognize that they're. They're using it to gain popularity or get attention um, and not using it for its intended purpose versus those that are using it for an actual reason. Yeah, I, I do think that there are people that tap into it and try to use it for their benefit. I've, I've, I haven't practiced the occult, but I've done certain things. For example, you have Vitruvius who talks about any any sensible treaty is 216 pages long. Well, the number 216, you know, for example, I have a, a, an Occultist Monday, a journal that I publish. I'll do the columns 216 points apart, right? 33 is, is a very famous number we all know and love. Well, I'll put maybe 33 fonts for this title or whatever it is. Again, so I resonate with that energy and my thing that I'm putting my art because life imitates art. I'll put that in. That's as far as I've gone, but I do know of people who have used these things. But your intent, but your intent behind the the Monday is is for education and for exactly. for good. 
Yes. Yes. And again, that's where I change versus an occultist who's doing it for a selfish game. But there is also, right, and I'm going to reference one of my favorite animes, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which has a whole bunch of, of truth in it. The I'm going to use the law of equivalent exchange, which is a, a thing in that show where you have to give something up of equal or lesser value from for what you want. So take that into consideration, because I know people who have tried these things, and by these things, I'm talking about the occult magic with a C or a K, whatever, and it's backfired on them because you can't just take, 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 take. You got to eventually give something back, and it goes back to that Faustian pact. It's like, what are you willing to give up? for all the knowledge in the universe. Are you willing to give up your soul? Are you willing to, we hear it all the time. Oh, so-and-so sacrificed their mom. Kanye West sacrificed his mom. So-and-so sacrificed their daughter. We know, we hear about this all the time. So just extrapolate that out and go, okay, okay. This is, you know, this is where that concept comes. It comes from the occult. Now we don't know what sort of magical system they're using. They could be using their own system for all we know, because again, it's about tapping into it. It exists there already. You tap into it and you use it like the spear of destiny. You can either use it to kill people or you can use it a pen. You can use it to stab somebody. You can use it to 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 write a, a check. I don't know something <laughs> good for somebody. You know what I mean? Like right. something good. So, and, and that's where the the, dual, the dualistic aspect of of existence really comes into play. It's like, are you going to be a good guy? Or are you going to be a bad guy? And I think that's what religion serves a purpose to give people a foundation. And guide certain people who need that guidance. Again, I'm not saying religion is all bad because, like I said, I'm, I consider myself a Christian, but I think some people go above and beyond and overboard with it. And I think that's where I draw the line. I don't believe in pushing my beliefs upon other people. And I talk about these things that I'm talking about today, like the occult, to educate people who otherwise wouldn't have known. And you're absolutely right. My show gets gets pretty heavy and there are some sophisticated concepts in there. And and it's not for everybody. It doesn't resonate for everybody. But those who it does resonate with, they find a lot of value in it because, again, we, we go we go hard in the paint, as I like to say on my show. And we don't. I'll hold back as far as saying vulgar things because there are darker aspects of the occult, which, I mean, use your imagination. They, they, they've done it all. I mean, Crowley, there's stories of him. You can look up yourself, but uh, you know, I'll draw the line there as far as getting into detail with that, but it does exist. I mean, there is that aspect of, of the occult that is very dark. And uh, I mean, sometimes, sometimes man, my, my mind will wander or I'll see things on the corner of my eye where I'll, where I'll have to invoke the name of Jesus and it works. Cause again, I'm looking at it from an academic lens where I'm not here to use this against anybody. And, and when I open myself up, it, it, there are these, I've, refer, I've heard these things referred to as a portal, these books, right? When you open up this book, it's a portal to whatever, and you can open up yourself to certain things. So I always keep that in mind and, you know, I don't burn sage or anything, but I'll, but I'll, you know, I'll pray and be like, Hey, you know, God guide me or watch over me, whatever it is, because it does get dark and heavy and, yeah, I mean, it's a real thing. So I'm here to, to do the dirty work for people, as I like to say. And so they don't have to go through that. It's, it's interesting that you, you segued into that and, and brought that up because that has been a, a topic that has come up um, recently with me. I, I, I think I can most recently um, 
reference back to the the episode I did with Steve and Kyle from the Hollow Sky. Um, <clears throat> I had him on my show. It, there was no, I had no intent to go down this road. It was, uh, you know, my show. It, it's not scripted. I don't. Uh, I don't sit here with a list of questions that I'm going to ask. It's conversation based. Um, but man, five minutes into it, and I, I think I was already thinking in my head, man, I'm going to need to apologize to these guys because it became a dark episode. In that we we talked a lot about um, the weight that that is put on us by ourselves for deciding what we do. But, you know, the conversations that we have with people, you know, I spoke with uh, one guy, Joey, who was, you know, an ex-military and um, man, he, he, he just laid it all out, you know, about how he tried to kill himself and um, the, the terrible, terrible things that he saw when, when he, he wasn't successful, um, but, but they were still trying to get him to, to finish the job basically. Um, and you know, I talked to so many people who have, you know, not good spiritual experiences, um, you know, whether it be oppressive uh, entities or, um, you know, things of that sort. And, you know, sitting here facilitating the conversation is one thing, but when you, I don't know that everybody does it, but I, I always try to look through the lens of the eye of the person that's telling me the story. And when you do that, it does become very heavy and it, it can, it can be dark, man. You can, you know, I'll get done with, you know, uh, a certain guest and, you know, there's been times where even after the, uh, the recording is done, you know, I'll, I'll continue to have conversation with that person. Um, I'm not, I'm not the guy that's gonna, uh, you know, have you on my show and then never have time to talk to you again. I, I think that's, I don't think that's good. Um, if you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna come on my show and, you know, show me the courtesy of, and the respect of telling your story to my fans, um, my listeners, um, I'm going to do you the same and, and I'll continue and, you know, unless you cross a line and, and, and you make it an uncomfortable thing, then I, I won't, but, um, and there, there's, you know, I don't want to use the word dumping, but it, that's almost what it's like is, you know, you, you get the weight of these people's stories and the, and the, uh, emotional, trauma that they've gone through because of these things and you know not all of them are are necessarily um paranormal i mean there's some that you know after you're done with the talk and you go back and you look at it um there's obviously some kind of a childhood trauma or you know there's there's screen memories uh, that they've they've thought it was easier to talk about being abducted by an, uh, an extraterrestrial than to come out and admit that, you know, there might've been some kind of sketchy shit going on when they were a kid and, you know, uh, neighbor Joe down the road got a little too handsy. Um, and, you know, I mean, this is, this is one of the reasons I, I you know, I, I just recently reached out to uh, better help to, 
I want to, I want to get them as a sponsor because, you know, I mean, I did manscaped and, you know, manscaped is fun. It's fun. It's, it's hilarious. And, you know, you're shaving man parts and, you know, it was fun, but it doesn't help anybody, you know, and, and the more and more I get into this, um, you know, I really, I want to be able to offer something like better help, you know, uh, online, it's private, you're anonymous and, you know, people can get some sort of mental health help. Um, and when I say mental health, not, I'm not saying that they're crazy or that they have, you know, uh, mental issues, but these people need to be able to have somebody to talk to and, and us as a host of a podcast, um, I'm willing to do it, but I am not, I'm not trained for it. You know, I don't, I don't have the resources to, uh, to, to give somebody to help, you know, um, help that healing journey. Um, and I, I, I really, I, I, I'd like to have something like that to be able to offer people. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And it's a, it's a heavy thing, you know, and it, it's, it's people, it's topics. It's, uh, you know, when I think I, I did a, an episode here recently and it's like, man, when you start looking into the dark and your eyes finally get acclimated and you can see better, you see things looking back at you. And that is, that's a hundred percent. No bull right there. You do see things looking back at you. They're not necessarily interested in you. They're not letting, they're not necessarily after you, but they are going to let you know, we see you looking, you know, one of the things that I experienced for a long time and I haven't experienced it in a while, but one of the, one of the things that I experienced for a long time was sleep paralysis. Now I experienced the paralysis of it for, for, for years. I mean, for, for quiet. I want to say at least five years because I remember it happening. My son is five now and I remember it happening well before he came into this world, but I would never have, I'd have the sense of dread. I would have the sense of, of somebody, something's going to kill me, right? You have, you can't really breathe. You're trying, you're trying to jerk yourself out of it. And I, and I got to the point where I was able to, to bring myself out, you know, with a, and then you kind of come forward and you kind of just, okay. But, I would, I would feel the sense of dread, Not, and, but I wouldn't see the entities. I wouldn't see how some people say the hag sitting on their chest yeah. or whatever it is, but I would, I would feel that sense of dread, right? And I, that, that sense of helplessness that you feel when you're in that position, because it almost feels like you, and I remember I had a waking dream one time where I, I, I could have swore I, I got up, sat on the side of my bed, and I, sometimes I'll sit there right in the mornings to, I hate waking up early, so I got to collect myself. I get up too too quickly. I got a headache, you know. And I sat up, and I was just kind of holding my head. And then uh, next thing I know, I was laying down again, and I was getting right back up again. I was like, wait, a, what in the world? So, again, I'm not, maybe it was a waking dream. Maybe I actually projected. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. But it's funny you bring up this aspect of the, the darker aspect of the psyche because one of the hermetic principles is all this mental now and this segues directly into what i want to talk to you about as far as a dog man and all these things because crowley 
believe that these demons, these darker entities, was our psyche. Young ta- Carl Jung talked about the dark self, right? The shadow self. And how that shadow self would reveal all the secrets in the world to you. Now, at what cost? I don't, I don't know. But point being that Crowley talked about these demons, this Goetia being us. It's just uh, aspects of our own psyche that we're tapping into and, and we're bringing these things forward. And, the, and we've always been painted in the media that people who are schizophrenic, that they're sick, that they, that they're, you know, they need medicine. But what if schizophrenic people are just wired differently and they're in tune with these things in their head that, right, there's the bicameral mind theory where back then, and by back then I'm talking about 5,000 years or so, if you want to believe mainstream history, the bicameral mind was man had two inner dialogues, one that was his ancestors or he attributed to his ancestors and one that was himself. And this other mind or this other voice would tell him to do certain things. So, I mean, take that for what it is, but that, that's, that's according to mainstream science or seance, whatever you want to call it, right? But that, the reason that's, I the se- up, that's the second time you've said that. Is, is that a thing? And that's something that I, that I, that I coined to trust the seance because it okay. sounds the same. Right. <laughs> or right. my, uh, my friend Chaney, so shout out to Chaney from Project Chaney. She, she had coined that and I stole it from her and I made a shirt with it and all that. So, and, and this segues directly into Dogman because I believe that Crowley, out of all people, attributed Goetia. He said that was another word for howling or grunting, which is interesting because yeah. when we think of dogman, the first thing that you think about is werewolves. Right. And I, I covered probably about, I want to say a year and a half ago, I covered the book of werewolves by Sabine Barry and Gould. It's a book from the 19th century, late 19th century, where it's all about werewolves. And he attributes a lot of different people in history as to write this, this lycanthrope, this, this, uh, some, some indigenous cultures would dress themselves up, do these certain dances and transform themselves into these entities. I've also heard of it put as right. People would do deals with the dark one or the devil or saying, and they would be granted these powers a certain time of night. There was the, what I like to call the astral werewolf, where it was like a meat suit somewhere and people would jump into it. And, you know, that would entitle, there was, there's werewolf meat suits sitting around somewhere. If it's interdimensional, who knows, but we always hear about dog man coming through portals. Right. And I recently went to near Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and I was near the building of where they supposedly had, uh, they had developed pieces of some nuclear reactor or something or other along those lines. I was on this river. I was fly fishing. And my guide was uh, allegedly on that river. He had seen Bigfoot. So we were talking about Bigfoot and he was telling me about the times he's seen Dogman and all this stuff. And I think I told you about that guy. So I got, I got in touch with his brother, which I can put you in touch with his brother because he's got a, a paranormal channel. And so this idea that perhaps I did another episode again, I do so much research on familiars and the idea that tormented souls are reincarnated as dogs. Okay. Now stick with me because we're going to get a little bit crazy, but in my recent 
research that I did, he came across this very interest. He said some interesting things. And when you are, I covered the, the tree of death, which is the opposite, right? On the backside of the tree of life. And I'm talking about Kabbalah. But one of the interesting points that he brought forth is that in one of these dimensions, one of these sephiroths or tusks or husks or shells of another dimension, time moves backwards. Now, a lot of different occultists, including Jack Parsons and Crowley, were obsessed with the crossing of the abyss. And what the crossing of the abyss was this, this ritual that they would do to invoke the nameless one or, or the bornless one ritual where they would dissolve their ego in order to become all powerful, right? This, this ritual. Now, in one of these dimensions, right? You, see, you know, the tree of life, you got the different sephiroths, different realms, different dimensions. Yeah. In one of them, time moves backwards. And Kenneth Grant in his book talks about how they believed these occultists were obsessed with transgressing their consciousness to before human times into a larval existence. Right. And this ties into some whole other stuff that I, that I was looking into with Carl Jung and all this stuff. But to leave all that out of it, he talks about how the magical lycanthrope, so the werewolf, is attributed to when an occultist fails this crossing of the abyss and is kicked into the abyss by the ape-headed dog. Okay. And we know that there's different forms of the dog, man, or right? there's different, yeah. uh, they attribute different shapes to their face and all this stuff. So the ape-headed dog is what they referred to. It would, would watch them struggle and kick them into the abyss. And therefore, they would lose their mind. They would go insane. And that was a contributing factor to this magical lycanthrope phenomenon and other phenomenons that are related to it. Now, if we believe that tormented souls or maybe these souls that didn't pass the test of crossing the abyss and maybe they're reincarnated through another dimension of some other and come into this realm as a dog person or whatever it may be. I just found it interesting that he relates, right? The losing of your mind to the dog man or werewolf, because if we, Look at certain occult aspects like Kundalini, for example, right? When people awaken their Kundalini. Well, it's all about invoking a biological change within themselves through the use of the occult, through the, the awakening of the Kundalini. I've heard it changes people physically. Well, let's take a simpler concept. The placebo effect. What does that do? The placebo effect is, is, is magic. And it's the type of magic that you want. You want to invoke a change without having to actually do it. You want to manifest a change right. without actually having to do anything. And what does the placebo effect do? Quite literally changes people's biology through what? Through the use of the mind. Yeah. Through the, their belief, therefore, enhances their biology. So, with all that said, it wouldn't be too far-fetched if certain occultists or certain governmental 
agencies tapped into this technology in order to use the dog man or something similar for whatever purposes that they want. What we remember, right. As of recently, the Ukraine war and all this stuff. Well, if I recall correctly, there was a, an article that people kind of brushed off. They were talking about super soldiers. You hear about that? Yeah. The soldiers that they would shoot at and they wouldn't go down. Well, Skinwalker Ranch. What do we hear about the werewolves out yeah. there? And I, I only saw that. I only saw that referenced once and I could never find it again. You got it. Absolutely. They, I couldn't find it ever again, but it was there because this is going to be really weird, Eric. Bear with me. In this ninth century grimoire that I recently acquired a translation of, I can't say anything else because working on a huge project right now. Not until that comes out, am I able to say anything about it? But I'm going to be covering it. I got a firsthand translation. But one of the funnier aspects of this grimoire, and it shows you recipes on how to create a homunculus or a rational animal, if you will. One of the aspects of that is, this is going to sound really weird, Eric, but stay with me using you need to beat a cow carcass to a pulp and this is traced back to an ancient Greek practice but you need to beat the carcass of a cow to a pulp with the biggest dog penis you can find okay sounds crazy Eric I know you you probably want to laugh but hear me out that's a particular, a peculiar thing to say. It's very right? specific. Very specific. Now, I recently had on Chris Matthew, and part of my show, I, I involve comedy in it because I do think that where we talk about heavy topics, you need to laugh a little bit, right? I have people write to me all the time like, hey, man, I was in the zone listening to you, and you busted out some, some random joke, and I just bursted out laughing, and I enjoyed it more because you're able to cut that tension with the, the, the comedic insertion. Well, what if this dogman phenomenon has to do with these, this technology that they were tapping into back then? And again, that's a very specific thing to say. But everybody always focuses, and I don't know about you, you've heard more stories than I have, but does anybody ever mention to you the genitalia of these dogmen or Bigfoot? Do we ever hear anything on that? Um, there are references. Um, it's, not, it's not all the time, um, but there are, there are stories, there are experiencers, that will reference, you know, like uh, the gentleman I had, um, I believe the episode was called um, Attacked in East Texas. Um, he was early morning, he was on his way to a gun show. He was a gun dealer. Um, he was driving up into East Texas, had a had to relieve himself early in the morning. So he pulled off the side of the road into a, uh, a landing where you could uh, launch your boats. Uh, got out of his truck, walked over to the edge of the the wood line, and unzipped and started to relieve himself. And he got snatched by an arm that came out from underneath the bush, grabbed him by the back of the ankle, pulled him down, and apparently took him for what he he approximated as to be about a hundred yards into the woods. Um, at that point, the thing 
dropped his leg, turned around to face him, and it it was a eight and a half foot Sasquatch. And he pulled his he pulled his uh, double barrel shotgun that he had strapped to his leg in a custom holster, and he said he put the barrel the barrels of that right between his navel and uh, his penis. So, um, you know, there there are some, you know, I mean, Patty from the Patterson-Gimlin film, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite obviously has breasts. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's not something you hear a lot of, um, but, but there are references. Because the reason I bring this up, and I, again, this is a very weird place to take the conversation, but the reason I bring that up is because as of recently, if we're to take all these grimoires literally, how I believe that a lot of these elites and people in secret circles are, they're taking these recipes. And there are various recipes, by the way, some that get even more macabre or however you want to, I think that's how you say it, or more, more dark. And so this is one of the more tame ones, but the exotic animal penis market is a real one. And if we're to take the the lure, I mean, as of recently, I saw too out of Nigeria going to China, there was a shipment of of a whole bunch of donkey penises that was confiscated. Now, what they use those for, I don't know. But I just thought it was because part of those recipes is also to turn yourself into an ape, which I just recently covered the divine ape. And its symbolism to the these occultists, they they revere the ape, and uh, you know turning yourself into one, and not not only just an ape, but turning yourself into a, or others into chimeras as well. These this grimoire, this particular grimoire, the Libra Vake, which is from the ninth century. It, it, there's there's fifteen different translations, one of which John D had a copy of, by the way, right? Queen Elizabeth's astrologer. So it comes full circle where these elitists or these occultists have this knowledge and they're studying, they're reading these things. And the scariest part about it is that the creator of the concept of the homunculus to bring it full circle was Paracelsus. Philippus Areolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim is his name. Jesus, AKA I thought Paracelsus. my last name was bad. <laughs> no, this is a dude's <laughs> name, but he's not just some regular Joe Schmo, Eric. He's the father of modern day toxicology. So he's the guy that was able to find out if you give a person too much morphine, they die. If you give them too little, they feel everything. So the dose makes the poison just enough. We'll put them right under and they won't feel anything. Now he is also a lot has been attributed to him. Uh, He contributed a lot of ideas to surgery as well. We're talking about a guy in the 16th century, one of the greatest minds of all time. And he's the one that brought forth the idea of the homunculus through his writings. So these are high level people in society. Now, rather that be intellectual or not, because he was he was he was addicted to opioids and he's a very intriguing character. If you look into his history, but point being that they the the, you know, the highest minds and it makes you think of if you want to think of them as high Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or all these people in society who we look up to, who might be into this, these weird ideas. 
Okay. And that's where uh, that's where I, I like to bring things full circle. I like to give people the history and the history lesson and then kind of bring in the modern. It's like, oh, well, where is it in modern time? Well, here it is. I mean, there's an article. You can look it up. Jeff Bezos looking for the elixir of life. They want to tap into immortality. You had, as of lately, Ecto, Ecto Labs. They want to have a, a whole bunch of babies created in incubators and false matrices. So seems like sci-fi until it's not, right? I mean, it's a conspiracy theory until it's not. And, th and then what? But I believe that they're tapping into this. And I do think that they were doing genetic splicing and genetic experiments back then. There are recipes to make chimeras. And if you look at a Bigfoot or a dog man, or you have your pick, the, 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 the rake or the whatever, the Mothman, anything that you really, you kind of, we see that in history. We see that in, in, in Roman times, depictions of that. We see that in, in Egyptian times where they do these hieroglyphs of, right, these dog-headed men and all these different things. So I, I think that there is some truth to that. Now, if they're coming from another dimension and being birthed from the failed attempts of these occultists to cross this abyss through whichever magical system that they're using could possibly be because again, that's one of the, the concepts that Kenneth Grant taps into. And I do think that this is what they put in these movies. Uh, and one of my favorite, again, one of my favorite examples is stranger things. I mean, that's, I think a lot of people have seen that and I think it kind of, kind of works like that, Eric. I don't know. Do you think, um, going back to playing the devil's advocate, um, do you, do you think that there is a possibility? I mean, we've talked about a lot of weird stuff, right? Especially when we start getting into the things that may or may not be coming from other dimensions and, you know, the chimeric stuff and uh, um, Bigfoot and Dogman and, and all these weird cryptids. Um, do you think there's a possibility that there could be some, uh, an over an overactive amount of ego in these occultists that are trying to, they're trying to attribute some claim to themselves by bringing this up. When in reality, my argument isn't that these things don't exist because I truly do believe that they do. I just think that they are more natural uh, you know, they exist. We don't know why we don't know anything about where, how they come from, where they come from, how they come. They just exist. They're, they're, they're with us. And whether it's on a different dimension, a different plane, uh, if, if we can only see them when, when a veil is thin, um, they're there. Do you think there's a possibility that these, um, these occultists throughout history have, have had the ego enough about them to um, try to, to take on the fact that those things are them when we, when we failed at doing what we ultimately wanted to do. I do think that there is a natural aspect to it. Absolutely. I, be, I believe it's autonomous. And it could be a little bit of both. It could be that they, that's why I called it a technology, Eric. Cause I think that these occultists in particular were maybe able to tap into that technology and these things exist on the other side and they're not, you know, they, they some might slip through on their own naturally. Right. 
or some people could be bringing them into this. I mean, I think it was what Merkel talked about how he they were listening. He was listening to to that guy, the the YouTuber. I forget his name. The guy with the little beanie. Anyways, he was listening to one of his shows, and they had a witch there that talked about bringing forth these these dogmen or werewolves into this dimension. They were opening portals. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think that these things exist autonomously. And to add to the fire, if you will, you have Carl Jung, who talked about the collective conscious. He talked about a lot of aspects in reality. The UFO, for example, is a projection of our subconscious as a collective. So if we all think about it all at the same time, it kind of comes into our reality. It crosses over. And Henry Corbin, which was a contemporary, and, and I believe he studied with a pupil of Carl Jung. I could be getting that part wrong. He had a concept of what he called the mundus imaginalis, which was, and I think there's a reasoning, again, back to this perversion or dilution of imagination, right? They always say that kids have this crazy imagination. They're able to think up of anything. Well, I think they just tell us to, you know, as a kid, they told us to use your imagination, use your imagination. Then when you, when you grow up, they kind of don't tell you that anymore, right? Well, I think that has some power. And the reason I bring this up because the mundus imaginalis is this world that gushes forth from your imagination that you're able to tap into through certain technologies, scrying being one of them, and that exists on its own. It's an autonomous world with an unlimited, it's unconstrained by reality itself. So think of reality as a computer program. Well, you can't run a Mac program on a Windows PC. Same with reality. You can't do certain things unless it's programmed into it or you know how to bypass that. And that's why I think that these occultists use certain numbers. So Gematria, numerology, and all these different things that they, that they use to kind of sort of hack that matrix, if you will, for a lack of a better term. But this Mundus Imaginalis exists. And I mean, think of anything. There's, there's a there, George Luis Borges. He's an author that, an Argentinian author that he talked about, he, he wrote all these little different stories. And every single different story, it's really interesting. I, I encourage people to check his work out. It's very amazing. He was able to write these crazy stories, these amazing stories that are that kind of they're kind of like thought experiments in a way. Just these abstract ideas, short little stories. And people always wondered how he was able to come up with these ideas and these concepts. And he was able to come up with these ideas because he had a very severe case of insomnia. And he existed and lived his life in a kind of half awake, half sleeping state. His, most of his entire life, he had like one eye open. He, had, he was, you know, his health was declining, but it was because he wasn't getting sleep. Right. So he was kind of able to tap into this dream world. There was this dreamscape and bring those ideas. And then while he was kind of half in, half out, and I know, I know occultists who use psychedelics in micro doses to where they're able to exist in this fairy world or fairy realm yeah. and the real world, whatever that is now. And they were kind of, you know, they're kind of able to do their magical practices. Through that. They tell me it aids them in their, their, their ceremonies or whatever. But point being that George Louis Borges was able to tap into these abstract concepts through, cause he was living in these 
two dimensions at once, essentially. So he was able to come up with the, the craziest story. I mean, you got to read them to really grasp it. But uh, like this, you know, he writes, a, a, for example, a there was a coin that, you know, on one side it would disappear. And then on one side it was, you know, had a, a face on it. And then, you know, the 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 king or whatever loses it, right? Because one day they're flipping the coin and it falls on the floor to never be found again because it flipped on the side that was like invisible, whatever. Uh, that's one of them. There's also another one where it's like everything that you would ever know existed in one point in time. And again, it's very poetic the way he breaks it down. I'm butchering it now, but point being that he was able to tap into these concepts because he existed in these two different realms. And we have people who talk about the dream world being this other reality. We all accept that when we go to sleep every single day, we wake up the same, that we wake up to the same people. We're trusting by us going to sleep, we wake up the same. Do we truly know if we wake up the same or not? Yeah. What happens when we go to sleep? <laughs> you know, there's days where I go to sleep and I wake up like I didn't even sleep. What was I doing? Yeah, or you go to bed and you lay down and you fall asleep right away and you wake up an hour and a half later and you'd swear you'd have eight and a half hours of sleep and everything was, you were ready to go. And it's like, shit, it's not even midnight yet. Time yeah. is different, right? Time is different for all of us. And I think we experience this reality differently. All of us, right? We all have our own experiences. And I think that I think the, the, the truth is stranger than fiction. And I mean, I brought, I, I talked about a lot of weird concepts, but Hey, I mean, I'm, Feel free to look up a lot of them. Look up homunculus. I've done numerous presentations on it, and I cite my sources. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making this up, Eric. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't believe you are. Um, it, it is just, uh, it is such a strange. It's no more strange than uh, entertaining the belief that there's extraterrestrials or um, any of the other things that we talk about. You know, I mean, I've. I've been in a place that has obviously had um, some kind of spiritual interactions in it, and I've 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 felt it, I've witnessed it, I've I've had interactions with it via uh, certain devices. Um, could it be coincidental? Absolutely. Could it be absolutely nothing to do with paranormal? Sure. Um, could it be paranormal? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, the things you talk about, we said that at the beginning of the show, um, we're in the same genre. Um, you, your, your desk is in one corner of the room and my desk is on the other corner of the room. Um, you know, we can, we can wave and, uh, and say, how you doing today? Um, but those, those two don't, they don't necessarily mix on a daily basis. Um, but nonetheless, any less interesting, um, and, and bizarre, um, you know, I mean, some of the things like, you know, I have, I have a personal issue with, uh, like gematria and, uh, and numerology. I think, um, I, I had one gentleman on, um, quite a long time ago and, and I, and I, and I preface this early on. I said, before we start recording, my 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 show is not audio, it's audio only. I said, so you are not going to have an opportunity to have a blackboard or or a dry erase board to show what you're talking about when it comes to this. And without a visual um, 
a, a visual aid, gematria and numerology can, it does not translate well into an audio broadcast. <laughs> you know, there, there's way too much. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel, and this is a personal belief, I feel like it's, it's pretty, I'm not going to say easy, but I, 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 I will say it. I think, I think it, I think you can draw correlations. I think you can draw, um, you can find associations in numbers with other things if you're looking for it, if you're, if you're, you know, so to me, that's one of those, that's one of those weird ones. Um, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying that it isn't valid, but for me personally, it's like, you know, even with astrology and stuff, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And, and I've always kind of felt that way. And it wasn't up until very recently. Um, a good friend of mine had, uh, had put in an awful lot of work into, you know, whatever it is when you tell them, you know, what time you were born, where, where you were located, you know, uh, what day it was. And they go through the whole thing. And I have to say, you know, there were some things that were like way off, but there were a lot of things that were like, holy shit, man, Spot that, on, yeah. that is me to a T. And even to the point where it was like uncomfortable for me to admit it because mm. it's things that I, I typically uh, don't, don't like to admit about myself, but it was like, damn, that was, you know, so, so I think there is something to it. Um, but unless you have the right person, um, with the white right background behind it, uh, explaining it, I think it can be a little, a little off putting, but no, your, your stuff is, uh, your stuff is interesting. And I find myself listening to your episodes and I get lost because I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't. Um, I don't, I don't drive around in those circles. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I recognize a lot of, um, a lot of commonality. I recognize a lot of things that will take me back to, to conversations that I've had with people. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's what was going on here. Or, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I enjoy your show. You, you do a fantastic job and I can't imagine the amount of time that you dedicate to research on this stuff. I know at a point, I know at a point when, you know, just like with Bigfoot stuff, you know, you've, you've been doing it for years and years and years. There's a lot of knowledge you can retain and, and it makes you sound like you're, you really know what the hell you're talking about, but you're just, you know, you've, you've saturated yourself with that for so long that it comes naturally and easy to talk about. Um, but I, I do, I do give you kudos. You, you do seem to, uh, put off a lot of research behind what you say. And, you know, I think it's fine to, you know, just like, uh, when I was on your show and I started talking about, you know, the, the idea that Bigfoot maybe uses frequency from their, their vocal capabilities to affect how we view them. Maybe that's what makes them blurry. Maybe that's what makes them look like we can't see them or when they disappear, you know, maybe it's just a, a frequency that's affecting that, you know, that very small spectrum that our eyes can see in. Um, I, I, it's, I mean, it's all, it's, it's wonderful. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that in the aspect of it's wondrous, you know, yeah. the, the, the bizarre things that we get to talk about, the weirdness, the, uh, the lines that we get to draw from, from one thing to another, when we've, when we've steeped ourselves in this stuff for so long that, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, you and I, we're podcast, podcast hosts, right? You know, we're, we're not, uh, we're not we're not having uh, scientific papers in journals being reviewed by our peers, and, you know. But when you make those those, and I guess you'd have to call them personal uh, revelations, you know. It, to me, those are the things that it's like, wow, that that man, that makes more sense than anything I've heard up until this point. Um, so kudos to yeah, you for absolutely. what you're doing. Um, appreciate it likewise do me a favor let's wrap this up we're almost at two hours let everybody know where they can find your show how they can get a hold of the um the writings that you do and and whatever you have coming up on the on the horizon here absolutely i had a blast eric thank you for having me on man and i had a i had a great time the first time around i had you on my show so i encourage people to check that episode out too that was a great episode and you can find me tjojp.com and most of my social medias are at the Juan on Juan podcast on pretty much any social media platform, any form of that. Usually the, the pod at the end is either PD or POD. And yeah, I, I have a publication that I do in Occultist Monday. It's various esoteric and occult subjects. And you can get that on my website, tjojp.com. I do have a Patreon as well that you can find me on patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Rockfin, Rumble, everywhere, quite literally. I'll send you my link tree and people can have their have their pick of where they want to follow me. You can find me anywhere in any major podcast platform. I do a couple episodes a week sometimes, sometimes more. But yeah, I, I, for the people who are going to come over, it, it is sort of like a think tank because what happens is, and this is my philosophy, I, I talk about what I like, what I find interesting, uh, whatever my obsession may be at that week and point in time, whatever it is. I talk about it. So it's it's reflections of my digestion of ideas and concepts that obviously a lot of them can get heavy. A lot of them can get complicated. But I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to uh, to shift paradigms and open up people's eyes to uh, the occultist Monday, which quite literally means the hidden world. So I do think I do think that there is a reality overlaid hours and that's why I named it that. But the truth is stranger than fiction, Eric, and I and I I enjoy your podcast from time to time. I, I use it as my as as my my guilty my guilty pleasure is cryptids, and I listen to cryptid podcasts whenever I'm you know taking a break from research because it will drive you insane. As you said earlier, if you look into the abyss, the abyss will stare right back into you. And for anybody who's going to be looking into these sort of things, I just you know, I warn them, you know, do it from make sure you're in a good space. Because it can get hot and heavy really quickly. Just be careful. You know what I mean? And, and I always tell everybody, be don't, a good person. Don't love go each astray. Other. Don't go don't astray. Go astray. Yeah. Exactly. I appreciate you, Eric. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, Juan. It's been a pleasure having you on, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Good night. Well, that's it for tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Juan Ayala, the host of the One on One podcast. Please, if you enjoyed tonight's show, go check out his content. Give him some love. 
He's got a lot of great content out there. Check out his efforts, please. Don't forget to head over to patreon.com forward slash uncomfortable podcast 770 and see if any of the membership levels appeal to you. Don't forget to pick up the uncomfortable discord server link in the shows below. Again, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at uncomfortable podcast 65. If you've got a story or have had an experience that you would like to have aired on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. And please, make sure to share the show in any way you can. That's what grows podcasts like this. Share it with your friends, family, coworkers. That's the main thing that you can do to help continue to grow this show and get it out in front of more people. Thanks for joining me. I will see you next week. And as always, stay uncomfortable, my friends. <laughs>